Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, joined by not one, but two different people today. My regular co-host, Jordan Klimak, is with me, and then we have a very special guest as well, Matthew Collar from Purple Insider. He writes about the Vikings every day. He talks about the Vikings every day on Blue Wire Podcast. Matthew, how are you doing? He has very few other hobbies that he ever (laughs) spends any time on. Uh, I'm good, man. I'm good. This game, I think for both teams, is really big and really exciting. And there's a lot of juicy storylines. And how about the Browns having games with juicy storylines? Good for you guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a nice change of pace. Uh, You know, when when the show started in 2018, it was a different Browns team, shall we say, than it is now. But hence the name. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, hence the name, the rebuild. Uh, you know, hopefully we're we're out of the the rebuild for the most part. Knock on wood, but uh, you know, uh, plenty of excitement to go around. I think for both teams here, and as part of that rebuild, you would say, you know, some intertwined fates here with, with Kevin Stefanski, of course, coming from the Vikings organization as well. So two teams that should be intimately familiar with each other too. No, that's right. I mean, Kevin Stefanski wasn't just here for a minute. I mean, he was here for his entire career. He started with Brad Childress. So he was with the Minnesota Vikings when Brett Favre was the quarterback, and he just left two years ago after his 2019 season. And he was a guy that coached everything. He coached uh, you know, running backs and tight ends and all sorts of different positions, and then worked his way up to quarterbacks coach and then on to uh, the offensive coordinator. So he really took the long way there. Like we see some guys sort of become the hot young coach, that kind of thing. But um, Stefanski, I feel like has gotten a little bit of that tag from people because maybe they don't understand his background. I mean, he has been a true NFL grinder and worked his way all the way up. And then in that 2019 season, the Vikings had one of the best offenses that they had had in a very long time. And you've seen the effect of that where he's basically taken the offense that worked so well for Kirk cousins and worked so well for Delvin cook in 2019. And he's brought it over to Cleveland and it works with Baker Mayfield. Who's I think a similar quarterback, maybe a little more gutsy, maybe guys uh, rally around him a little more, but similar type of skill set. And then you see Nick Chubb and the success that he's had. And I think uh, what Kevin Stefanski has done is he's taken the foundation of all that he learned along the way and then added a modern element to it. I wasn't surprised to see that he goes for it a lot on fourth down and makes the right fourth down decisions. And I I think that he's a data driven coach, which maybe didn't always fit with how Mike Zimmer does things, but he was a guy that the Vikings were ready to make their head coach. If the Vikings had lost in 2019 against the new Orleans saints in the playoffs, if they got their tails whooped, the Vikings were ready to fire Mike Zimmer or potentially even trade him to the Dallas Cowboys. They had an opening at the time uh, and make Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, they were ready to do that. That's how much people in the organization were sold on Stefanski. And then he goes and wins coach of the year. I don't think anybody was surprised by that or surprised by the fact that he brought competence after Freddie kitchens uh, didn't. Uh, Matthew. So what's funny is, so I remember the day I met Kevin Stefanski almost two years ago to the date at this point at the uh, greater Cleveland sports awards. It was right after he was hired. Uh, The Browns had just let go Freddie kitchens at the time. And I kind of got my first interaction with him and I walked away from that impressed. I don't know what it was 
But there was something about him that I just felt like right then and there that it was going to click. So being around the team for as long as you have, going back to the Minnesota days, was there anything that you were able to pick up from, from Stefanski that you were like, okay, it's going to work out for this guy? Because it worked out the second he walked in the building here in Berea. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think that um, if you had taken a poll of all the people who cover the Vikings, uh, it would have been probably 100% would have told you that they thought Kevin Stefanski was going to succeed. And, and one of the reasons is the route that he took there is part of it. If you can survive that many coaches and they want to keep you on the staff, uh, that that really says something about you. In fact, Pat Shermer wanted Kevin Stefanski to be his offensive coordinator when Shermer got hired with the New York Giants and Mike Zimmer would not let him go, which I think also says something about Zimmer's respect for the job that Stefanski did. So a lot of people wanted Kevin Stefanski to be working with them. And I think that it was a better break for him that he didn't end up as the offensive coordinator of the Giants because he would have been fired after what a year or two. Uh, But uh, you know, so serendipitous, I guess, with the way it's worked out for him. But I think that there's a few things. I mean, one is there's a certain way that successful coaches carry themselves. I think um, successful head coaches And I don't know exactly how to describe it, but I think in the NFL, being a salesman doesn't exactly work. Being a, sorry, Dan Campbell, but like a goofball who's just like, oh, I'm Mr. (laughs) Football guy, like Joe Judge having his players run laps or whatever, like silliness like that. Matt Patricia's overly hardcore. I'm going to treat you like garbage for whatever reason. I don't think any of that works. I think Kevin Stefanski, the best way I could describe it is I think he handles people respectfully. I think he handles his players like they are adults with children and families and everything else. And, and like they're intelligent. A lot of NFL players, the vast majority of NFL players, especially guys who have been in the league, they're very intelligent. Like if you're feeding them a line of BS, they're going to know it. Most of them. So uh, I think that what players see in Kevin Stefanski is someone who is very highly intelligent always well-researched, understands the game in many different ways and has seen many different systems and many different defenses, and then teaches it in a way that is respectful and not I'm the coach and you're the player or something like that. I think he relates well from that aspect. Like, I don't think he's necessarily a player's coach as in like Freddie Kitchens wants to be your buddy. Uh, I just think it's a very professional (laughs) type of relationship that he has uh, with his players. And, um, you know, it's a, it's remarkable to me, all of the former players that I've talked to on and off the record about Stefanski say he's very smart and he's always ready. And he's, and he's always sort of ahead of the game. And we saw that here in 2019. And I think you've seen it in Cleveland. I think that shines through too, in, in some of the, the, the press conferences actually too, where you see the, the message from the team, not only from Stefanski, but then the players as well is always aligned. And that's something that under Freddie Kitchens just wasn't the case. You, you would kind of hear two or three different takes on, on the game or, or what the, you know, how the team felt at the time. Whereas at this point, it feels like top down, there's just a, a cohesion among the Browns organization that I think stands through because of Stefanski in that open, you know, open line of communication he has with players. We even see it, you know, in some of the, the post-game speeches that come out and all, and all sorts of that stuff. Then, you you know, it lines up exactly with what the players then say in the press conferences. On the well, flip think- side, Matthew, I do want to talk a little bit about also the, the dynamic on 
your side of things between the the coach and the players, because I think that was really the the story of the off season for the Vikings from a national perspective is a coach that's previously had a lot of success, previously been quite well-respected, butting heads with his star quarterback in a way that you don't really see, obviously over uh, their approaches to the COVID-19 pandemic. Three games in, it doesn't seem like that's still afloat in the national narrative. Have things dissipated there? I mean, what's the general sentiment amongst the team now that the season's actually gotten underway? Right. It was a very tense training camp, very tense, uh, because once Kirk Cousins missed time in practice and we've gotten from other you know fans and things like this, why aren't you criticizing other players who are not vaccinated? Because they didn't miss practice. I mean, when Cousins had to miss five days, he came back and the offense did not perform very well. It didn't look like it was in sync. It took them quite some time to get ramped up. And then even though they've done well overall, the first two quarters of the first game, it looked like they'd never played together before. And, and that's what we saw in the preseason. And there was just this sort of disjointedness to the offense. And I think that it stemmed a little bit from Cousins missing time, but also from Zimmer's frustration with that. And Zimmer has got a lot of pressure on him to win this year. He's been here for eight years. And in the NFL, look around and count the guys who are there for eight years. Find me one without a ring. Well, it's Mike Zimmer is pretty much it. And so uh, when you don't have regular trips to the NFC championship or get into a Super Bowl, um, you know, it's hard to stick around for this long. And and last year they started out one in five. They got into the in the hunt graphic, like hang a banner over that. I mean, but, you, you know, after coming off of a poor year, they spent all sorts of money on the defensive side. And so he knows that if Kirk Cousins is out for any amount of time, Kellen Mond is not in the stratosphere of ready to play in the NFL. You think that Zach Wilson and other guys don't look ready. Uh, you should see Kellen Mond in practice There's nowhere close. That's why they signed Sean Mannion to be their backup. Um, so if Kirk cousins is out because of COVID, I mean, you're just losing football games probably. So um, Mike Zimmer knows that. And I think that it struck a nerve with him like, Hey, this guy won't do everything that it takes to make sure that he stays on the field. Because if you have a close contact with someone with COVID and you're vaccinated, you can just keep practicing and playing. It's like no big deal. Uh, but if you have a close contact and you're unvaccinated, then you got to be out. And if they lose a game because Sean Mannion, and had to start and not Kirk Cousins. And it cost Mike Zimmer his job. I mean, he's just never going to forgive the guy. So I think all those things sort of ran through his mind as Kirk Cousins was sitting out practice. And then, you know, Cousins was so frustrated by some of Zimmer's comments. And Zimmer is just never one to bite his tongue. That's who he is. That's who he'll always be. Um, he doesn't leave much on the table in terms of what he's thinking. Uh, and so, you know, he came out and said, he basically said, Kirk's not being a good leader by not doing this. He's not being smart by not doing this. And um, then Cousins sort of fired back with, it wasn't my fault. I didn't even have COVID. It was because the room was too small. And there was all this ridiculousness that was going on. But I think that once you sort of get into the season, everybody has to put that aside. And they just have to try to win because Kirk Cousins has one year left on his contract and he'll never get to that $45 million cap hit, which he's going to have next year. It'll either be a trade, it'll be an extension, something like that. Um, so he, he knows that too, that his future in the NFL rests on this season as well as Zimmer. So I, my first column to start the season was basically like these two need each other. And I think they've realized that. And even Zimmer has come out after these first couple of games and, and complimented sort of through gritted teeth, 
uh, Kirk Cousins. But I also think, you know, based on Kirk Cousins history, being a 500 quarterback, I think he's 52, 53 and one in his career. I mean, when your career, your own career as a head coach rests on that guy, I think it makes you pretty nervous because you've seen the ups and downs of that. Um, but I think what's really helped quell all of it is that Clint Kubiak is very Stefanski like he's very even, he's not, you know, a big salesman. He's not a big talker or anything. And I think he sort of helped smooth this out and his offense has been quite good. And if the offense continues to play well and they get back to 500, they win some football games, they're in the race and Kirk doesn't have any close contacts with COVID. I, I think you could kind of put all of that in the past and sort of focus on the games. But if he misses a single game, I think Zimmer's head's just going to explode. So Matthew, I think it's interesting. Like I, I have this weird fascination between like, quarterback and the city that they play in like that kind of relationship and it probably comes from my background in radio and doing radio here in Cleveland and it's just so interesting the dynamic between Baker Mayfield and Cleveland right there I mean you have your diehards that like you can't say a bad word about Baker you can't be critical about him and they're down your throat the second you are then on the other hand you have your group of people that are like well maybe he's not the franchise guy maybe he's not worth this 30 35 40 million dollar contract that he might be you know, in, in line for down the road. So what is kind of Kirk Cousins relationship been with Minnesota? Cause like you talked about, he's, he's up for that deal next year. And I'm, I'm assuming he didn't help himself with his kind of vaccine stance with the Minnesota people. So what is that relationship like between Minnesota and Kirk Cousins right now? Well, I'll say that, you know, if he takes them somewhere this year, that this is like, can always change. Right. Uh, but I'll put it this way. The Vikings had joint practices with the Denver Broncos. And you remember Teddy Bridgewater was here. There were more Teddy Bridgewater jerseys in the stands than Kirk Cousins at that point. Um, I, I think that Cousins has never come anywhere close to endearing himself to the community. Uh, in his first offseason, 2018, so they missed the playoffs. He plays very poorly in week 17. They missed the playoffs because they don't win that game against Chicago's backups, by the way. And then the first thing that he does, and I'm sure that somebody's handling his social media, but just like in terms of endearing yourself to the city, is he tweets out a picture of him in Cabo or something or wh wherever, whatever beach he was on. And it's like a snowstorm in Minnesota. It's like 10 below. And you're saying, Kirk, do you have any awareness of how people are going to view you? Uh, do you really get this? And, and the answer is never been yes. I mean, how do, so, okay. So you watched Bernie Kosar, right? Like how did Bernie yeah. Kosar endear himself to Cleveland? Big games, grittiness. He just had this like, does this, is this guy really an NFL player look to him, but then he'd come out and make great throws and big plays and big games and all that stuff. Like that's how you endear yourself to a fan base. And he would grind through injuries. He'd be hurt all the time and picking himself off that gross turf. Right. Uh, or it's not even, it was mud at the time with yeah. Bernie Kosar. That's how you end up with someone loving a quarterback with Kirk. It's always been, he's sort of the corporate quarterback uh, you dial up a play that works, he'll make it work. If you don't, then it won't. And there's all these sort of uh, nervous moments that he has. There's never a time where I don't think I've ever seen him pick himself up off the ground. Like he, I, I don't want him to get hurt, but like there's not this grittiness element to him that I think really attracts people. There's not a baller element that attracts people to him. And they just haven't won. They were a great team before they signed him. Since they signed him, they have been the definition of mediocrity. And I think that Kirk's kind of aw shucks act 
when you go eight, seven and one or seven and nine, everyone's like, uh, can you win a big game, please? But you know, if they go 12 and five and they win the division and beat Aaron Rodgers or something late in the season at Lambeau, well, then that will probably change people's view on it. So I guess that's the way I look at it is that he, no, he has not become a part of the community. He has not like endeared himself to the fan base, but normally those things kind of write themselves after like the performance that Baker put on, even in a loss in against Kansas city. I mean, that's going to endear you to the fan base. There was the wild card weekend win uh, against New Orleans, kind of a shrug there. The very next week, they go out to San Francisco. Cousins throws for 170 yards on 40 passes or something. It was like, that was your opportunity. Win a huge game, get them to the NFC championship. The fact that it didn't happen, it's, and then last year went as poorly as it did. Um, I, I think that it's probably 80% of the fan base right now wants to move on in the future. And the only guy who can change that is Kirk Cousins. Well, this might not be that level of a huge game, but this is a pretty big one this weekend. So let's dive into it a little bit more and and, and talk about Cousins specifically because, you know, through three games, I, I think most people prior to this season, will, you know, view Cousins, as you put it, as a mediocre quarterback, right? Kind of right in the middle. He's an, you know, 500 for his career. But through three games, he seems like he's performing a lot better than that. I know he's third in the PFF quarterback rankings because I was looking at those today. I, you know, he's got some pretty impressive counting stats through three games so far. Is this a, a function of Kubiak, the players around him, or, or are you seeing a different Kirk Cousins at all this year through three games? I, I think that there are a lot of people who want to see a different Kirk Cousins, but I I think it's the same guy when he's playing well. I mean, there's a reason that they paid him as much money as they did. I mean, there are some people, there's always like the wide range of, like you said, uh, Jordan, there are people who would just throw themselves in front of tra a train for the quarterback. And then there are other people who just cannot look at him without vomiting. And so uh, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle with Cousins where he's had every year of his career an insane hot streak. In fact, Go back to 2015. Look at the second half of his season. I ran this yesterday. In the final eight games, he had something like 126 quarterback rating. Oh, the first year he started. This has always been fundamental to Cousins to get blazing hot at times. And then there's always the cliff that he falls off. And we even saw this last year, but no one really noticed. At the beginning of the year, he led the league in interceptions through six games. And then the next five or six games, he was absolutely on fire. And in 2019, he won player of the month in October, something like 120 quarterback rating. I think we've seen it before. Usually what it has to do with is the defenses that are on the schedule. So last year, I believe they played one defense that was in the top 10 in quarterback rating against an eight out of the bottom 10. And Cousins blew them all away. Like no surprise. And the same, and like watch Seattle. That's one of the worst defenses that I think I've covered uh, that wasn't coached by Matt Patricia, just like the simplistic and wide open, wide receivers couldn't stop the run, couldn't stop the screen, couldn't stop any, any wide receiving option. And cousins is great when you give him time to throw an open wide receivers. I mean, he's just fantastic. Uh, the question is when things get tough and when his offensive line gets beat up and when the game gets a little dicey, that's where we've seen him come up short pretty consistently. And when I look at this game, I see some defensive linemen who are pretty scary. 
Um, my friend who comes on the show calls them werewolves uh, with the, the big defensive lineman, the Miles Garrett's of the world. <laughs> He's a werewolf. And when the Vikings have faced the werewolves before, Khalil Mack, Keem Hicks, uh, Kenny Clark, Zadarius Smith, these guys, a lot of times they find a way to get to cousins. And if you shake them a little, you've got a pretty good chance to win. And I think that that's, that's where if you want to show that you're different, this is a pretty good week to start showing that. So let's, let's stick with those kind of those werewolves, as you called them for the Browns real quick. And uh, Miles Garrett, and obviously, of course, Jadavion Clowney on the other side. You know, the fans here in Cleveland were kind of wondering for a while, like, when are we going to finally get that Jadavion Clowney game? Like, when's he going to make an impact? That certainly happened last week. Two sacks, eight pressures. Obviously, we know the kind of historic game that Miles had in the four and a half sacks. It felt like it could have been seven. But you just talked about their, the uh, offensive line for the Vikings has struggled at times. And I believe it'll be Rashad Hill out there at left tackle with that kind of, you know, man on an island matchup with Miles. And he just destroyed Jason Peters, who kind of showed that he, you know, his best days are obviously behind him. But how do you expect the Vikings to kind of kind of control that defensive line for the Browns? Because Miles earlier last week talked about how, you know, he was getting chipped, how he's getting double teamed all the time. And these other guys just weren't winning the one-on-one matchups, right? That happened last week. I think the Bears didn't really have the best approach to handling the Browns' defensive line. So how can it be different this weekend for the Vikings? I think you're being very polite by saying the Bears may not have had the best strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I think number one is that I think Clint Kubiak already after three games is better at his job than Matt Nagy is. Uh, What you'll see and what I would expect to see is – screen passes where they let the defensive lineman go and then you boop it over their head for a big game. We saw a lot of that against an aggressive Seattle defense. I think you'll see a much more impressive quick game from the Vikings. If you look at Kirk Cousins yards per um, average uh, depth of target and yards per completion, they're down, but in a good way, because they're using that to protect him from his offensive line and to help out the offensive line. But the reality of miles Garrett is At some point, there's a third and seven that needs to be converted. And that guy is going to eat Rashad Hill's face. I mean, there's just, there's, I like Rashad Hill. He's a great story, honestly. A guy who was on Jacksonville's practice squad and Jacksonville was terrible. And the Vikings picked him up. The guys worked super hard to be a starter. And he gets sort of a good break with Christian Derrissaw not being ready. Everyone loves Rashad Hill. But this guy is not in the universe of facing Miles Garrett. And this is the one thing that can ruin a Kirk Cousins game is if one of those werewolves destroys one of your offensive linemen, there's not a whole lot he can do because Cousins will hesitate. He will hold the ball. He's been strip sacked in back-to-back weeks. The ball just bounced back to him. We're, we're talking about different games, I think, against Arizona and Seattle. If the ball doesn't bounce right back into Cousins' hands after he was strip sacked, that's where if the Vikings run the ball, if they stay ahead of the sticks, if they can complete the short game and stay out of those situations, that's how you can neutralize those guys. Uh, Where I'd be really concerned if I'm the Vikings is that Kevin Stefanski knows exactly where their biggest weakness is and the pass protecting. And it isn't even Rashad Hill. It's Garrett Bradbury, their center that Bradbury is really good in reach blocks in the run game, really good in the screen game. He's fast but he's not that much bigger than the three of us. And if you put a powerful guy over him 
like Jadavion Clowney. I mean, you're going to pressure Kirk right up the middle. And that's been his, his Achilles heel, his kryptonite for the entire time that I've covered him is if you can pressure him up the, up the middle, he won't back up and he won't roll out. He'll just stand there and get sacked. And I think Kevin Stefanski, if anybody knows that about cousins, it's him. Well, that'll be interesting. Not only I think Jadavion Clowney, but the, the Browns also have this, another great story this defensive tackle named Malik McDowell, who mm-hmm. has been a game record through the first couple of weeks, a really impressive, basically took a starting spot, uh, you know, a, from Andrew Billings, who a lot of Browns fans thought was going to be the solution there at defensive tackle. And he put a lot of pressure on the Chiefs interior in interior line in week one. So he could be another name that to watch out for in this. And, and you mentioned how Minnesota might try to counter that. They throw a lot to the running backs in the screen game. I think I saw Alexander Madison at six catches last week. We know Dalvin Cook, of course, is also a receiving threat. What's the latest with Dalvin Cook? And, and what do you expect the, the snapshot to be like among those guys? We're recording this on Tuesday night too, just so the listeners know on the Dalvin Cook injury front. Yeah. And that makes it a little hard to say because usually Wednesday we get our first look at how he looks out there now. So there's an interesting dynamic with Dalvin Cook and it's that they're obsessed with Dalvin Cook. Um, When Dalvin Cook is playing, they will give him the football exactly 1 million times per game. I mean, in any circumstance, passing, rushing, second and long, sometimes third and long, it doesn't matter. Like Dalvin Cook is getting the football all the time to their detriment at times, to their benefit, certainly in in a lot of games for sure. And setting up second and two or something for Kirk Cousins is very helpful. But I actually thought it benefited them last week that they were a pass-first offense rather than just leaning on Alexander Madison. And Madison ended up with a great stat line, but a lot of that is we're leading late in the game, handoff, 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 that kind of thing. Uh, But, you know, I think that if Delvin Cook is 100%, you almost wonder, will they go back to leaning on him a little too much? And and we talk about Stefanski being smart about the analytics. Well, the Vikings, uh, you know, sometimes they do the inefficient thing, like handoff too much, like try to establish the run in the third quarter when they're down two scores or something. Like we'll see them do things like that. And so it'll be interesting to see if he is back like how that plays out. Like, do they go right back to the Delvin cook is the center of our offense or do they say, you know, what's been working is this quick game and this screen game uh, and the, the quicker passes to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen have been very successful uh, in terms of Delvin cook. The other thing too, is in the past when he's been hundred percent healthy, he's hundred percent unstoppable when he's banged up though. It's just not the same guy. If you go back and look at Arizona in the second half, there's one play where The normal 100% Delvin Cook jukes a guy, runs for a touchdown, 50-yard touchdown, easy. Uh, He gets tackled. And and that's what we've seen from him when he's been injured is that the yards per carry, they go down. He doesn't have the same burst. And the fact that it's an ankle, uh, I think there's a, a decent chance if he plays that he actually could kind of work against them if he isn't fully at 100%. I'm glad we I'm glad we brought up Delvin Cook and, and kind of the run game here, Matthew, because the kind of the talk of the town, at least in the past couple of days in Cleveland, has been the new toy that they found at linebacker, and that being Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. He's added an element to this Browns defense that, quite frankly, we haven't seen here in a long, long time with the speed and kind of versatile type defender he is. Now, here's the only issue, and here's why I have to caution Browns fans 
not get too hyped up about it. And that's the fact that the Browns, they just really haven't played a team that runs the ball often. Uh, Chicago had, they, they didn't want to run the ball. They didn't try and run the ball last week. The Texans didn't have much success running the ball. Obviously it's the Texans, the chiefs. We know that they don't run the ball a lot either. So I'm just wondering if you think that, you know, Kubiak is going to dial up a lot of runs and test a guy like a Jeremiah Usukormo, who's unproven in that linebacking core. We know what he can do in, 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 you know, the blitz packages and the speed and in zone coverage and all that. We haven't seen what he can do when it comes to stopping the run. So I'm wondering if you think maybe Kubiak's going to feel the pressure to run the ball a lot more for that reason. Is he, uh, is he your next Carl Banks or what? He might be, man. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, th- maybe he'd be like if uh, Eric Turner played linebacker because that's the size of, of guys. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I, I had uh, I was a card collector back in the day and I had like full teams of like Cleveland Browns and stuff like that. So I, I've got all the names on the tip of my tongue. Uh, I think that that will be a very interesting chess match uh, because I, from what I've seen of Owusu Koromoa, the guy is just a baller. And What's always interesting is, uh, you know, that sort of sideline to sideline with the wide zone. And this is a really interesting wrinkle with the Vikings and how they've been running the football is with Gary Kubiak. It was like, look, friends, this is Terrell Davis and we're running wide zone every single time. And they still ran great last year. But Clint Kubiak, and there's there's a few different things that he's done that have really mixed this up and have confused the heck out of linebackers in the last few weeks. One of them was... Uh, He's having CJ Ham in the fullback and having him go a different direction from the run. And you see the linebackers go, huh? What? What's going on? And, th- and there's some veteran linebackers. Bobby Wagner was confused at times against the Vikings running game against Seattle. So I think for a rookie, that's still the guy you're going to go. I know you're a baller and I know you're a special talent, but you haven't been doing this very long. And the entire philosophy of a Kubiak-Shanahan offense is what? To mess with the linebackers, to create space in the middle of the field. And so that that chess match between uh, Clint Kubiak and Je- Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa uh, will be very interesting. They neutralized Bobby Wagner's impact, didn't notice him a whole lot last week. And I think uh, if they can do that this week, then they'll, you know, then the Vikings have a chance to run the ball pretty successfully. I think though, it all starts with the, the offensive and defensive line. If the Vikings offensive line moves bodies and gets five, six, seven yards a carry, the Vikings offense can just really roll from there because that makes it a lot harder to pass rush and everything else. And I, I so I think the battle really begins up front for whether Owusu Koromoa can impact the game or not. I feel like every week when I when I'm on the podcast and trying to do like the key matchup for the Browns on the defensive side of the football, it's Miles Garrett versus whoever the left tackle is. But it's hard for me not <laughs> to default to that. And Matthew, I kind of feel like it's the same thing again this week, where it's just if Garrett is ultimately going to be a game wrecker on that side of the football, and the Vikings aren't able to punish, you know, his aggressive pass rush tendencies with screens with some of their wide zone schemes, to me. He's always the guy that I just circle as, hey, if the Vikings figure out a solution for him, they could be successful on offense. They've been successful on offense in these first three weeks, right? They move the ball up and down the field. If they can't, I find it hard to believe that they're going to be able to solve that, that problem and be successful. But is there a different you know, matchup that you would single out as the key for Minnesota to have success? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, the corners versus Thielen and Jefferson. Uh, Antonio Langham isn't walking through that door, right? I mean, so if you if you have mediocre corners against Thielen and Jefferson, they will destroy them. I, I mean, not just like they'll they'll be okay. They are unstoppable, both of them. Their route running ability, Arizona, I mean, found this out against Thielen. The route running ability of Adam Thielen, the explosiveness of Justin Jefferson, no one has figured out the entire time that I have covered the Minnesota Vikings how to cover these guys. And it was Stefan Diggs before that. You've seen what he's done in Buffalo when they've thrown the ball more often. They have been blessed with two of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And uh, we saw last week Seattle, and maybe this will change, but Seattle tried playing off coverage a lot, thinking let's keep Jefferson and Thielen in front of us. That didn't work. We've seen other teams try to press them and be physical with them. Well, they're both big guys. That doesn't work. They have great moves off the line of scrimmage. It usually comes down to that as well. And the other thing too is, can you mess with Kirk Cousins' brain? And this is where I think Stefanski really has an advantage is he's got to be aware that when things look different than they did pre-snap, that there's hesitation in Kirk Cousins. There's hesitation in all quarterbacks, but when Russell Wilson hesitates, he runs for 20 yards. When Kirk Cousins hesitates, he kind of holds on to the football like it's a baby and takes the sack. And uh, so there was a game in 2018, a good example of this. Bill Belichick started walking everybody around the line of scrimmage in every uh, pass situation where nobody was lined up like in a down stance. They were just walking around. And it just confused the heck out of Kirk Cousins. And on pretty much every big situation, they failed and came up short. I think that's the fancy he's got to be aware of that, having an up-close view. So I think it's more of the defensive scheme because your corners are probably getting beat. Uh, you'll probably get pressure on Cousins, but they're going to do everything to neutralize that with screens and quick passes. So can you confuse him a little and give Jadavion Clowney and give Miles Garrett that extra little half second? And Kirk Cousins, his career low in fumbles in a season, I think is nine. So, I mean, that's how games change, right? One strip sack, one tip ball for an interception, and then all of a sudden you're talking about a different football game. So I think it's really the schematic element of it. Can you confuse him and can you force Rashad Hill to block for just that little extra second? And we know that, you know, he's not really going to be able to do that. Now flipping it over to the other side of the ball, talking about the Vikings defense versus the Browns offense. Now it's obviously no secret what the Browns are going, that what their game plan is going to be coming into the game, right? I mean, very similar to what the Vikings do on offense. And they're going to, Browns are going to come down. They're going to run the ball down your throat. They're going to get their play actions in. They're going to get their nakeds, their bootlegs, all of that in. Now, obviously the Vikings, it hasn't been too great. when they're talking about run defense so far this year. I think they're ranked 23rd, according to PFF, uh, one of the worst tackling teams in the league. I think they're giving up about 120 on the ground a game. And um, when you look at like Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, I mean, they were over 120 yards just between the two of them last year. How do you think that matchup's going to play out? And will the Vikings be able to handle Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb? Because no one has been able to do so so far. They're two of the top five graded running backs in the NFL through the first three weeks. Right. They're looking like uh, Leroy Horde and Eric Metcalf in the back. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. My uh, boy Metcalf. Yep. It's, fire here. It has been shocking, honestly, that the Vikings have had such a poor run defense of the first couple of weeks. I mean, really surprising because 
we expected when you have Michael Pierce coming back at 350 pounds and Delvin Tomlinson signed here at 300 and we'll give them 325, but it's probably more than that, that you're just going to stuff everything. And then you're going to have your linebackers track sideline to sideline. But what we've seen is that opposing offensive lines have been able to move some bodies. Um, Daniil Hunter is a very good run defender, but Stephen Weatherly, DJ Wanham, uh, at times Seattle ran no huddle, and I expect Cleveland to copy this. They ran no huddle after third downs, so the Vikings would have to keep their pass rushers on the field uh, because they send lighter pass rushers in to rush over the guards on third down. So these little clever things that have happened, I think for some teams where they've been able to get a little bit of an edge. I think another X factor here too, is that Anthony Barr has not played yet this season and he is a very good run stuffer. Um, you don't run into too many linebackers that go 250, 260 anymore. So when guards come plowing through, um, they're surprised when they can't just move Anthony Barr out of the way. But Nick Vigil is playing there now. He's been fine. I mean, he had a pick six in, in one game, a sack in another game, but he's not Anthony Barr in terms of his size and ability to, to stuff the run. So that great Cleveland offensive line, if Anthony Barr comes back, um, I think that's one of the, the really good matchups. But I, I really think that it's just one of the things that the Vikings defense has struggled with is sort of conduciveness in these first couple of games. They've been moving a lot of parts in and out and Mike Zimmer's defense, I believe is complicated. And so we've seen miscommunications and Zimmer even admitted the other day that some of the guys are not really fully getting it and mastering his defense. When they were the number one defense in the NFL, every player who started in 2017 had been on the team since 2015. They had three years in the system to fully understand it this year. I mean, this is just, it's like I do in Madden where you just pick up every free agent, right. And stack up your defense. That's what the Vikings did. And so in Madden, it works great because everyone's got their ratings and they just go do what they're supposed to in the NFL. It doesn't always. So I think that there's been just these little technical issues of trying to figure out exactly where everyone's supposed to be, how they're supposed to line up, how they're supposed to handle each technique and, and I think that's opened some very big holes. And if they don't get that solved quickly and maybe simplify a little bit, uh, this team's going to run over them like crazy. Well, and, and Jordan brought up the run game, but I, it seems like it's been a similar story in the passing game as well in terms of bringing in some free agents and some confusion there. You know, Patrick Peterson, Brashad Breeland coming over, who, who Browns fans are, are familiar with as well from the Chiefs. And it, it seems like overall uh, the connective tissue isn't there. So do you think this is something that, that Zimmer can fix quickly or are, is the secondary going to have similar issues as well uh, in dealing with the Browns? You know, Odell Beckham returning to the field last week. He's obviously going to be, you know, the, the key guy for the Browns on that side of the football. So I, I never underestimate Mike Zimmer's defensive acumen. Uh, because in 2018, they went out to LA and it was a national TV game and they gave up 38 points and a perfect quarterback rating to Jared Goff. And I think all of us went, ah, Zimmer must be washed. Everybody's figured out his defense. And then for the next, whatever it was, 10 weeks, they nobody scored on him. And uh, he's just been a master of adjustments for his entire career. Now, last year, they lost a lot of their players to injury. They were revamping the defense and it was kind of miserable. Uh, but even then, if you look at their third down performances, I think they were 10th last year in third down performance with basically no talent left on the field. Kendricks got hurt at the end of the year. Barr was out. Uh, Daniel Hunter was out. They're playing two rookie quarterbacks. 
uh, uh, cornerbacks. I mean, one of them is not on the, on the team anymore. And the other one is on the bench. Like that's, that's what their defense was last year. And he was still able to scheme a pretty good third down defense. So I think that he, he will get an understanding after these three games of what guys are doing well, what guys aren't doing well. Um, I think that sometimes though, one of the, uh, I don't know, maybe curses of being a great creator is that sometimes you get too creative. And I think that that's what may have happened in these first few games, because if you look at all the touchdowns that they've given up, many of them have just been bombs. Uh, Kyler Murray had a 77 yard touchdown. Joe Burrow had a, whatever it was, 60 yard touchdown. And it's usually just something that isn't quite right there. They lost somebody, somebody did the wrong thing. Uh, they didn't have the, the pattern matching quite right. And so I think if they master that, they can be good. The problem is they're one and two. And if you don't master it quick, Kevin Stefanski is going to take advantage of it. Baker Mayfield won't miss wide open wide receivers. And you could be one and three and looking at the rest of the schedule going, "Uh oh, we're in a lot of trouble. So that will be one of, I think, the biggest storylines for this game is can Zimmer get his defense on the same page? And the other thing, too, is, you know, cornerbacks, they're fickle and it's kind of a weak link thing. And Bashad Breeland has been the extreme weak link so far. And Patrick Peterson hasn't been great either, but Breeland has really been taken advantage of. And I'm sure that the Cleveland Browns did not miss that when watching the tape for the first three weeks. Now, Matthew, you talked earlier about kind of how, you know, when Kirk Cousins gets pressure in his face, when he's getting pressured and sacked and hit all game, that's kind of when he kind of starts to combust, right? And then that's when things start to go haywire. And that's kind of a similar situation with Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, we saw in 2019, the Browns just didn't have a good offensive line. And that was probably the biggest reason why him and the team struggled that year. Obviously, they had the number one offensive line last year. It's been very good again this year. Now, we talked about for the Vikings, or for the Browns, rather, the kind of matchups like a Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney that can ruin a game for the Vikings. Now, for the for the Browns, I, I think that there's a guy on that Vikings defensive line who has the chance to ruin that game for the Browns, of course, that being Daniel Hunter. Um, he's obviously had a very impressive start to the year. I think he's top three in pressures uh, through the first three weeks, but it's really kind of only been him on that defensive line for the Vikings. So what have you noticed how teams have tried to defend him? And do you expect that the Browns will try something different this week? Obviously there's the question that left tackle for the Browns with Jed Wills and will be healthy enough to, you know, handle a matchup like that. This is where Mike Zimmer is really clever because uh, he usually finds ways to show looks, especially in passing situations that are clear pass situations, second and long, third and long to show looks that draw the def or the offensive line to the defense away from Daniel Hunter. He's done this forever. And it's really something to watch in week one, Daniel Hunter on a third down is one-on-one -on -one with a tight end and he just destroys the guy and gets a sack. But we've seen that so many times where teams come in and they say like, Oh, we're going to double team Hunter. We're going to give him help from the guard. We're going to chip him and everything else. And then Zimmer loads up the other side of the defense and forces the offensive line to shift their protection away from Hunter. And I, there's usually a lot of one-on-one -on -one matchups for him. I think that Hunter is every bit as great as everyone thinks he is, but I also think that he's helped by Mike Zimmer in that way. So that's another point of, Cleveland has to stay out of second and, and third and long because Zimmer will find a way to get 
Daniil Hunter singled up schematically. The other thing that should be a little concerning to Cleveland, and again, this is where Stefanski's familiarity, he knows this, is Everson Griffin looked really good last week. And Everson Griffin did not have a great year last year between Dallas and between Detroit, but he looked really explosive. And uh, if he is any bit of what he used to be, I think that's another reason for Daniel Hunter's success is that a lot of teams had to put so much attention on Everson Griffin and they're moving him around and he's rushing off the edge. He's rushing inside and he becomes when he's got that quick twitch really going, he becomes a force. And I've seen him sort of get in a groove when it comes to pass rushing and he can rack up a bunch of sacks and a ton of pressures and take over games. That should be a little concerning, I think. But otherwise, they really haven't had anyone sort of rise to the challenge. They really like DJ Wanham, who's a fourth round pick. There hasn't been anything there that I've seen in two years, really, to suggest that he's a dangerous player. Steven Weatherly, they brought in free agency. He had no sacks for Carolina last year as a starter, hasn't shown a whole lot more so far this year. Uh, Michael Pierce threw a guy to the ground and sacked Joe Burrow in week one, but he's not a real threat. Um, and Delvin Tomlinson can be at times, but again, these are not like the where these are not the werewolves. These are um, Eric Hendricks joked that Pierce and Tomlinson are meaty boys. So we've been, you know, joking that these are the meaty boys. So uh, I think that's what it really comes down to. Like Daniil Hunter is going to beat people with his pass rushes. There's no question about that, but you can handle one guy beating his guy and you could try to help and you could do some things about that or anticipate or roll away from that. I know that Stefanski loves his roll at rollouts, bootlegs and things like that. But if you got another one in Everson Griffin, that's where you're going to end up with a quarterback who's a little antsy. And the other point to be made too is uh, U.S. Bank Stadium last week was insanely loud as it always is. And uh, I know Baker Mayfield has played in some pretty tough environments, but this is as tough as it gets. And we've seen a lot of quarterbacks in their first time in this building looking around like, what? We can't hear anything. What are we doing? And then we get miscommunication sacks. So how he adapts to that will also be another part of it. And, and that is a good transition into my next point. And I, cause I want to get your thoughts overall on the game, Matthew, and you mentioned it, the Vikings have been a tough team at home, which factors into my thinking here. And Jordan, I want to get your thoughts too. So, so Matthew, we'll go with you first, just in general, you know, the Browns here are a two point favorite for those who are betting people out there. They started out, I think as a one point favorite on the road here, but a pretty even game. So Matthew, if you had to make a pick on Tuesday, obviously not knowing, you know, Dalvin Cook's exact status and all of that, uh, you know, wh what are you leaning toward so far in this game? This one feels to me like a division game just because of the fami familiarity with the coaches and the scheme. And usually with division games, even if there's a talent disparity, they're usually pretty close. And that's the way I look at this one. I know it's sort of a cop out to be like, this football game will be close. That has a close Vegas line and that right, both teams are decent. Uh, but I think that the edge the Vikings get for playing in home and being able to correct some of the things from their defense and the way that the offense is playing gives them a chance against the Browns. I still think the Browns are a stronger team. And I think that, you know, Kevin Stefanski deserves the respect that he's getting. Uh, but I do foresee Baker Mayfield being thrown off at times by the noise and things like that. So I, I'm thinking that this is going to be a fairly low scoring and kind of grinded out type of a football game between two teams that like to run the ball, two teams that have a lot of talent on defense, uh, good schemes on defense, and quarterbacks that can be questionable at times. So I would go 
with Cleveland, uh, but I'd pick it close. I'd pick it like 2017. All right. All right. That's interesting that you bring up the two teams that like to run. They do like to run. That being said, the over in this game has been bet up a number of points, mm, too. I noticed that earlier today. I am I am a gambling man, if you could not tell. So uh, <laughs> I noticed that is one of the big trends of the week. But Jordan, uh, jump in here as well. What's your what are your thoughts on this game as of right now? So it's interesting, obviously, you know, working in radio as I do, kind of getting the pulse of the fan base. Um, Browns fans are interesting, man. I, I love Browns fans to death. We're, we're very, very irrational pretty much any time, right? Like if we're, if we're bad, Henry and, and Matthew, we think that like it, it's, it's the worst team of all time, right? And I mean, hell, they might have had the worst team of all time a couple of years ago. But when you're good, it's like they expect perfection. It's they expect every single game. I mean, let's call it for what it is. I think no one can sit here and argue that the Browns have a better roster than the Vikings. And so Browns fans look at that as like, hey, they got to go out and they're going to dominate this game because they're a better, better football team. Well, no, it, it's not as simple as that. Uh, I think everything you said about, you know, U.S. Bank being a tough place to play. Absolutely. That's going to factor into this as well for that offensive line and Baker Mayfield. I see this being a very close game. I think you touched on the familiarity of the two teams. I think that is going to play into it as well. I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring, though. I, I look at this as about a 28-24 to 24 Browns win, kind of a gutted out. Uh, the way that these games really go is the Browns, they come out, they maybe the first drive they come out passing. It seems like they do that a lot. They want to get the lead early so they can use that run game to wear teams down in the second half. And I, I think that's eventually what's going to happen in the second half. Uh, Kareem Hunt is that guy that is really became that second half, third and fourth quarter guy. You bring in the fresh legs and you, and you really don't miss to beat. And I, I kind of think that's how this one's going to go a lot closer than I expect, uh, than I think a lot of Browns fans expect, I should say. And I, I look at both teams to maybe have a turnover. I, I think this is going to be a good game. Like I said, 28-24. For me, I don't love this spot for the Browns. I'm not going to lie. I mentioned this, Jordan, all the way back on, on our pregame or our, pre, our season uh, preview when we were going yeah. through game by game that in general one of my biggest gripes with fans is they don't take into account home field when they're the road team it's always when when they're the home team they're like oh well we got the home crowd and all of that stuff on their side but then they don't flip it around in the same way and you see obviously Vegas does that when they're picking lines and Matthew it, this place has been one of the hardest places for opposing teams to come in and win. Since 2016, the Vikings had the best home record and the best record covering the spread in particular in Vegas. They always keep these games close. Last year that changed, but there were no fans. And so that's a key point is that that, that stadium gets really loud. It's really difficult to play. This Vikings team, I do think, is going to stress the Browns' secondary a lot. We, it, we, I know you talked a little bit uh, about Thielen and Jefferson. They've got K.J. Osborne, too. Nobody's really been able to slow down this Browns' offense so far, but if anybody's going to do it, Mike Simmer is extremely familiar with the Browns. I do think that the Browns, the running game, is the identity of this football team. I think they'll be able to lean on it just enough. I'm going to say that the Browns are going to win by a field goal. I'll call it 27-24. So very similar to Jordan, right about uh, the over-under, but I would not touch the over-under. I would not bet this game, even as a gambling person. If you told me the Vikings are going to win by seven, 
if the Vikings end up winning this game by even more than that, I'm not going to be surprised. I, I, you know, the Browns looked great last weekend, but this is a very different passing offense than what they saw last weekend with the Bears, and I think it's going to test them a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that a lot of times we've gone into games thinking, I don't know, maybe, you know, the Vikings are in some trouble here, and then the U.S. Bank Stadium effect just tends to take over. And uh, I have seen the best quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, look like he can't get his team lined up because it's so loud in there. And uh, Mike Zimmer knows exactly how to take advantage of it. I think that I think if you're betting the game, you probably bet the Vikings here. I, I think that the Browns will win if we're just talking wins and losses from a reporter covering that part of it. But um, if you're on the gambling side, uh, yeah, I, th- I think you probably do bet um, maybe Minnesota here because of that home field advantage. There are very few stadiums, I think, left that have it. But I think we even saw it last week in the second half of that game when the stadium really rose up um, in some of the big situations. Even Russell Wilson couldn't get his guys lined up. They were struggling with the snap counts. And then you see tackles looking back like, oh, Daniel Hunter already by me um you just there's so many times where we've seen that and uh, i think it's intimidating and i think it wears people down after like two three quarters of just non-stop noise it wears down reporters honestly there are reporters who wear like you know whatever they are earplugs because it just is a, a droning and uh you can sort of feel it, it doesn't it's a, it's a new building so it doesn't shake but it has this effect where it sort of goes almost like in and out it's so loud that the noise is like clashing against each other so i, th- I think that um that is a serious factor just a little bit more talent on cleveland's team though i think Matthew, real quick follow me here on this so I've been going back and forth the past couple of days, right? Obviously the Vikings are one and two. They got their first win last week. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I feel like it works out in the Browns favor that the Vikings were able to win last week. Now, I don't know if that makes sense, but just, I feel like for some, whatever reason, if the Browns were going on the road, taking on an 0-3 team with the kind of familiarity that we talked about between the two sides and how hungry they would be knowing that their season damn well could be over if you start 0-4. I don't know why, but I just feel like that somehow works in the Browns' advantage. Well, I think that one of the things you can look at is regression is always around the corner for Kirk Cousins, right? I mean, that they, I mean, there's even like a way of referring to it of like, bad Kirk will show up and it, he shows up at us bank stadium. Sometimes he shows up on the road sometimes where it's like, um, people, you know, people with uh, kids will have some nickname for when their kids grouchy. It's sort of the same way with cousins where you you just know it. As soon as you walk in the door, uh, there was a game against green Bay 2019 where the Vikings strip sacked Aaron Rodgers in the first drive of the game. They have the ball at like, I don't know, the 10 yard line of Green Bay and Cousins checked to the fullback like three straight times. And we all went, oh, no, it's bad, Kirk. And so that that is that's always around the corner when he's having a hot streak. So I think if you think about like, oh, they're excited, they feel like, oh, we're good. We beat Seattle. And then there's always that regression monster sort of waiting and that three interception game sort of lurking that I think is very possible, especially if they get in his face. Well, it's tough, too, because you brought up, you know, the the defenses that Kirk Cousins face and how that dictates it. And it's so hard three weeks into the season to know, you know, what level of defenses they played. I mean, what level of quality of teams they played. Like, you know, at first, you know, you say week one, who will walk to the Bengals. That's terrible. And it's like, ah, maybe the Bengals aren't as bad as we think. 
And now the Cardinals might be good, but but the Vikings should have won that game. And and then, you know, the Seahawks seem like a disaster. Who knows if they turn it around? So it, it is difficult, uh, you know, three weeks into the season, uh, you know, to get a pulse uh, on teams. And I feel like the Vikings are one of those a little bit where I, that's part of the reason I think I feel a little bit just uncomfortable picking the games. I'm like, I just don't know what to make of some of their results so far. So I'm just hoping and praying that, that it works out in the Browns favor, but, but we'll have to, we'll have to see uh, come Sunday, but Matthew, I think that's really all we have on our end. Before we go, though, please tell the listeners where they can find your Viking stuff, especially ahead of this game Sunday with, you know, Calvin Cook injury news and so much more to come ahead of this game. Sure. Uh, Wherever you get your podcasts, just type in Purple Insider and boom, it'll pop right up. And also our written work is at purpleinsider.substack.com. We are we are those people. We are the substackers. So um, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it should be a very interesting buildup to this game. And uh, there, it's been a little while since we've had one that had legitimate, like, like hype, like real hype. You know, last year, you go into the stadium, it's a Morgan there. They were bad right from the very outset of the season. It was very hard to get excited for games. And uh, this one, this one, though, this has got some hype. The whole different ball game. You've got the fans in 2021. It's early in the season still, you know, at one and two, at two and one, things can still go either way. So plenty of excitement ahead of this game. And I and I feel similarly with the Browns way with how much is at stake here every week. It's been a different season covering them too. So can't wait for this game Sunday. Browns fans, I hope you're feeling the same way out there if you're listening. But that's all we've got for this episode ahead of the game Sunday. We'll be back with plenty more on this feed. Jordan and I will have our thoughts post game as well. So until then, take care.